Good morning and welcome to Shouts of Grace. This morning we're continuing our study on Christ our Healer. And I am excited to jump into this because we're going to be looking at one big question that I've actually heard several times over the years. Uh, In fact, um, at one point in time, probably even used this argument uh, as well in this passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at uh, to go and to point out that, you know, healing's not necessarily always a good thing is what some people might go and and say, which, which sounds kind of silly when you say it that way. But it's one of those things that people go and they look at and they'll see um, essentially that God uses sickness, uh, or at least that's what they might say, and therefore uh, it ends up being a good thing. It ends up being a good thing is what people might say. Now, there are, of course, passages um, like in Genesis when it talks about Joseph and after all these terrible things happened to Joseph where he was uh, you know, sold as a slave, he was falsely accused and thrown into prison, he was forgotten in prison, and then after all of that, he eventually rose uh, to the top uh, of, of Egypt and, of course, said saved um, the lives of many people. And for what others used or intended for evil, God, of course, used for good. And then uh, we also think of, of course, Job, where at the beginning uh, of the the book of Job, we see that all of these, these terrible, terrible things happen to Job, where he loses everything, including his health. And then at the very end, God, of course, goes and he blesses him, and he blesses him so much. And we could go and say, well, look, uh, that sickness that you endured, that difficulty, those trials that you endured, uh, the, those, those, those evils that you endured is really the, the word I'm looking for. Those evils that you endured um, and the sickness and disease and everything like that, man, those ended up being ultimately for your good is what a lot of people would go out and say. Maybe in a more practical way to go and to say this, some people would go and look at uh, some of the, the the difficulties, some of the sicknesses that they've been through, um, or some of the evils that they themselves have committed, and the, the 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 mistakes that they would go and say. When a lot of times those mistakes were just sin, and they would go and say, "Look, when I look back, you know, I would really, uh, I really don't like what I went through, but I would have it no other way because of all of these things that I learned." And I want to take us back just for a moment before we get into our scripture reading, just to understand how this is a wrong premise. I want to take us back to Genesis and remember God's original design. His original design was without sin. His original design for man was to be sinless, and of course, therefore, without sickness, without disease, without illness, and of course, without death. And he had a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, God's intention was for Adam, and of course, those who'd follow in Adam's race, to know the difference between good and evil, but to not learn through doing things the wrong way, but to learn through doing things the right way. You see, if you can can learn uh, by experiencing evil in your life and having evil done to you, and the results of sin which of course is sickness and illness and those things, if you can learn in that way, let me pose the logical obvious. How much more could you learn by doing things the right way in learning through righteousness? You could learn so much, so much more. But today we've got a long scripture reading. It's going to be in Acts chapter 16, and it says this, starting in verse 1. It says, Then came... 
he came uh, to Debrian to Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul uh, wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them uh, the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number. Now when they had gone through uh, Phrygia to the region of Galatia, they were forbidden uh, by by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they'd come to Maesa, they tried to go into uh, Bithynia, and the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysa, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood, and he pleaded with them, saying, Come to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing to Troas, we ran straighter course to uh, Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city, to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and we spoke with the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God, and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she heard the household, when she and her her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed of a spirit of divination met us, who brought her master much profit by fortune-telling. And this girl followed Paul and us, and she cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates, and they said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs that are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or to observe. Then the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrate tore off their clothes, and they commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison, and he fastened their feet into the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains loosened, and the keeper of the prison awakening from his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, he drew the sword and was about to kill himself, but Paul called out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. 
Then he called for a light, and he ran in, and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into the house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers uh, saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the, officers, uh, and the officers told these words to the magistrate, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. So they came and they pleaded with them, and they brought them out, and they asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison, and they entered into the house of Lydia, and, they, uh, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Now, this is an important passage, and you might be going, what does this have to do with healing? Well, it doesn't have so much to do with healing as it has to do with understanding another passage of Scripture that is often used in ways to go and to say, see, God doesn't really intend to always heal. In fact, it comes in, in such a way that people will use this passage uh, to go and to say, look, God actually intends at times for us to have sickness in our life so that we can go and learn and so that we can go and grow and so that we can go and, uh, and really become who God wants us to become. Now, I want us to understand there's a difference here between realizing that God can teach us and can work through trials, through sickness, through illness, through difficulty, and for God desiring of us to have the sickness. And uh, I'm not necessarily going to say difficulty because there, I mean, God created work in the Garden of Eden. Difficulty is not a bad thing, but uh, in and of itself. But when it comes to sickness, when it comes to disease, when it comes to uh, illness, God doesn't desire those things. In fact, if God is giving that, he's not giving that as a blessing, but as a curse to people. Now, the passage that's often brought up, though, to go and to say, see, look, healing isn't something that God uh, always desires. Sometimes he desires us to have sickness. Sometimes it's just our cross to bear. And that's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And it says this, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come uh, to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether in the body I do not know, uh, God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows how he was caught up into paradise, and he heard the inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter, of such a one I will boast." Yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I desire to boast, 
I do not, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain lest any should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Now, this is the, the thing that's often said. Look, the Apostle Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. In this thorn in the flesh, it's, you know, some people would like to go in to say it was poor eyesight. Some people would like to go in to say, look, it was some kind of illness. Uh, in fact, look, it says right here, infirmities, uh, that, that happens. But I want you to notice that that thorn in the flesh is specifically stated as a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. It's a messenger of Satan who's specifically going to buffet him or to oppose the Apostle Paul. And what we just read in Acts chapter 16 is exactly this thorn in the flesh. It wasn't poor eyesight. It wasn't a sickness. It wasn't an illness. But it was rather exactly what Scripture says, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. You see, there was this girl who's possessed by a demon who goes around and she proclaims, oh, these are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation, which of course seems like a good thing to go and to say. She's saying the right words, the true words, but the problem is, is that she has the wrong spirit in her and it became extremely grating specifically to Paul, so much so that he cast the demon out of this girl. And I want you to understand here if we were to go back to Philippians chapter 1, which we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, he goes and he talks about those who who preach Christ, uh, some uh, in, in out of goodwill and others not out of goodwill. Uh, if we go and we look at the Apostle Paul, he he's constantly going and saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's going, he's claiming his his apostleship, and he's saying it's through the command of God oftentimes. When we go and we, we see these things, there is no doubt that the Apostle Paul had all kinds of troubles from people who opposed him. Just looking at this demon in Acts chapter 16 opposing him, what did it get the Apostle Paul? beaten, thrown into prison wrongly, and of course, probably a grating headache and a great hindrance to his ministry, having a demon follow him around for many days. But yet, what also happened in Acts chapter 16? What also happened was that we see God working in an incredible way where the the uh, you, you know, chains completely break and, and the doors open in the prison. We, we see also an opportunity for the Apostle Paul to go into be an incredible testimony uh, of singing praises to God at midnight in the midst of all of these terrible things. We see that the Apostle Paul then gets the opportunity to go and to lead the Philippian jailer and his household to the Lord, going and building the church that was just planted there in Philippi. Well, all of these things happened 
in spite of the fact of a demon going and chasing the Apostle Paul around. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient for the Apostle Paul, and so therefore he can take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. You see, for when he is weak physically because he's been beaten, because he's been graded upon, because he's been thrown into prison and thrown into stocks, then he is strong because he's relying upon the grace of God. But I want you to notice something. This really has nothing to do with sickness. The Apostle Paul, his thorn in the flesh wasn't a sickness. It was rather the great persecution and opposition that came to the Apostle Paul specifically through demonic attacks of opposing his ministry. In every time that the devil goes and tries to oppose his ministry greatly to go and to set him off course, shipwrecking him twice, stoning him, beating him, throwing him into prison, all of these things, what does God do? Well, God gives him grace to turn these situations on its head and to further the gospel. In Philippians 1, which is a place that we're going to be looking at soon, he goes and he says, says, look, I am chained, but the gospel is not chained. It's gone out further so that the whole palace guard gets to hear the gospel because of my chains. And this is important for us to understand when it comes to healing. Because God doesn't desire, he's not sending sickness, but rather he's simply allowing Satan to oppose his ministry, allowing people, Satan to go and to possess people, Satan to go and to stir up hearts of unbelievers, to go into literally oppose the Apostle Paul. Well, we know that we're going to have opposition. We know that we're going to have that in this world. We know that that's the whole point of the devil. Right? His point is to oppose us. That's what he wants to do. He's opposing God. But that's not God giving somebody a sickness because he wants them sick to go and to learn something or something like that. That's rather God showing his power off in the midst of Satan's greatest schemes. So when we look at this concept of does God give us sickness? No. He doesn't give a sickness. If God's giving somebody a sickness, it's, it's through judgment. It's not really a gift. It's, it's a condemnation that's coming on somebody. If God's going and in, in, in putting down that gavel, you don't want to be receiving that from God. Can God work through a sickness that you get? Well, absolutely. He's worked through sicknesses in my life. In fact, I would say that, that really the, the concept of healing— now, not the concept of health, but the concept of healing is, of course, God working through sickness because, well, you can't really be healed if you're not sick. But I want you to realize something. God can give you health as well. It's something we haven't touched on a, a ton in this series, something maybe for a series later on that he can go and give health. But I want you to realize and understand this concept the Apostle Paul's thorn in the flesh was not sickness. It wasn't physical uh, sickness or illness or disease, but rather it was literally spiritual persecutions, 
spiritual reproaches. I mean, that played out in the physical world, but they're they're literally demonically activated. And God is saying, look, I'm not going to take away all of your opposition, because if I took away all your all of your opposition, you might start thinking that that your ministry success is because of you. It's not because of you. It's because of the grace that I put within you. And look, you are going to be more than an overcomer, Paul. But you can't be more than an overcomer without these oppositions, because in order to be more than an overcomer, you need to be infused by my grace. See, the reality of it is, is that God allowed the Apostle Paul to be attacked and to have opposition. He allowed Jesus to have this too, right? I mean, Jesus, one of Jesus' 12 was Judas. But through all of this, God works and he gives grace to overcome and to thwart Satan's plans. Now, when it comes to sickness and illness, God's desire isn't for you to have sickness. It's not for you to have illness. He can work through that. And of course, he gives healing for that. But that's not his design. He doesn't go and say, look, I want you to suffer in sickness and an illness to go and to, to have that so that I can go and teach you a lesson. No, he could teach us that through righteousness if we're doing things in the right way. He can teach us those things because that was his intention ultimately with Adam. Well, hopefully that makes sense. There wasn't a whole lot of time today and I totally went over time. And I could probably explain this for another two hours if, if, uh, if given the opportunity, but we don't have that kind of time uh, in this devotional setting. So thank you for listening today, and remember Joshua 1, 8, and 9 as we depart. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But even in darkness, we hold to the promise. There's nothing we can't overcome. So that war you've been fighting will end in God's timing. Sing like the battle's been won. Then you feel it, the song that is rising. Then you can't help but let it out. If you're trusting in faith,